Good morning, beloved. Hello. Let us transition from greeting one another to reading about a greeting even more marvelous than the one you just experienced. But first, let us pray for God's help. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the privilege and joy of getting to come together uh, with your people uh, to worship you today. Um, Please uh, give us hearts um, that worship you um, as your word is preached. Um, Please set our minds um, on things above um, and change us, Father. Um, We did not just come here because it is Christmas time. Um, because it's Advent season, um, but we come here today to celebrate the same thing we celebrate every single Sunday, um, the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, So please, Lord, uh, may we leave here changed people, more Christ-like people. In Jesus' name, amen. Who are the most blessed people in the world, whose blessedness gives them the most cause to worship God. What does it even mean to be blessed? The words used in the Bible 288 times, very Christian word. Yet everyone says the word blessed. A Chicago Tribune writer used the word in a recent column saying, stop blabbering for one blessed minute and listen to reason. Rapper Big Sean wrote a song titled Blessings and opened the first line by saying, I live the life I deserve. Blessed. In two weeks, if you search blessed on social media, is it fair to assume you'll find photo after photo of unwrapped Christmas presents? So blessing seems to have a very broad usage in people's vocabulary. And they say it pretty much about anything good that happens to them. According to that definition, Luke wrote his gospel to a blessed man whom he calls most excellent Theophilus. The only other times in the Bible when the title most excellent is used refers to governors. So evidence suggests Theophilus was rich and powerful and therefore blessed. But Luke challenges Theophilus to see blessedness differently with the story we'll read today. The big idea of this sermon is, blessed are the believers, for God has done great things for them. God has done great things for all people. Everyone is breathing his air, warmed by his sun, fed by his hand, but only believers who actually receive all of God's works as great. Not everyone sees God's works as great. Therefore, it's only believers who experience the fullness of God's great works. Do you feel blessed this morning, believer? My prayer is that this story will help you get there. And if you do not believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, My prayer is that you would leave today knowing the blessedness that is offered to you in Christ. 
Please open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find our passage on page 855. I encourage you to keep your Bible open throughout the sermon so we can examine the text together. For those visiting, this is the third sermon sermon in our Advent series, Preaching Through Luke. The previous sermons have both been about an angel delivering a message from God to someone. But not both announcements were believed. Announcement number one, an angel tells a priest named Zechariah his wife Elizabeth would birth a son in spite of her old age. Zechariah does not believe. As a consequence, the angel makes him unable to speak until his son is born. Announcement number two, an angel tells the Virgin Mary she would birth the Son of God in spite of her virginity. Mary does believe, which is amazing because there's no record in the Bible of a virgin birth before Mary. There is record of older barren women giving birth. That's how Israel happened. Israel's forefather and mother, Abraham and Sarah, gave birth to Isaac in their old age. So even though Zacharias heard this story before, he doesn't believe. But Mary does. Because although she didn't have the story of a virgin birth in her head to believe God could do it again, she had exoduses and red seas and story after story of God faithfully doing great, impossible things for his people. Story after story of what God says happening without fail. And with all these reasons to believe, Mary did. She believed the angel that God would give her son Jesus the throne of David. And of his kingdom, there would be no end. Because that's what God told King David he would do hundreds of years prior. Mary's only curiosity was how this would happen, given that she hadn't yet married Joseph. Read with me the angel's reply to Mary's question, starting in verse 34 of Luke chapter 1. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's what's now on the forefront of Theophilus' mind as he comes to our passage today. Mary's belief. Scene one of our narrative opens up with Mary on the move. Having just been told the most spectacular news of all time, she journeys in excitement to the only one in the world who could relate to her at the moment her now fellow, miraculously pregnant relative, Elizabeth. Read with me the first two verses of our text, verses 39 and 40 of Luke chapter 1. In those days Mary arose 
and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Mary greets Elizabeth because Mary can still talk, because the angel didn't take away her speech, because she believed. Unlike Zechariah, whose absence at the time of Mary's greeting is noteworthy. He's elsewhere being mute. Luke subtly continues to remind Theophilus of the consequences of unbelief. Zechariah doesn't get to experience the blessedness of what's about to happen. Elizabeth's response to Mary's greeting is no less shocking than the angel's announcement to her. Remember, Mary knows Elizabeth is pregnant because the angel told her. No one told Elizabeth that Mary's pregnant. So how will Elizabeth respond to her relative's arrival? Read with me verses 41 to 45. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What just happened? Let's start with the leaping baby. Mary walks through the doorway, says hi, and her voice makes the baby in Elizabeth's womb leap for joy. I think Luke wants Theophilus to be reminded of something the angel told Zechariah. The angel said that this baby would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and that he would go before Jesus to prepare a people for the Lord. The leaping baby gives us insight that this prophecy is already being fulfilled. And yet, why does Elizabeth feel happy leaping baby and think, Mary's pregnant with the Messiah? You may wonder, did Mary simply tell Elizabeth the news in her greeting and Luke just doesn't mention it? It's a good question. But that hypothesis gets debunked in verse 44. Look at when the baby leaped for joy. Elizabeth says the baby leaped at the sound of Mary's greeting, not the subject matter. Leaping at the sound of Mary's greeting wouldn't have given her enough time to share the news. Our only explanation then for Elizabeth saying stuff no one's told her about is found at the end of verse 41. Look with me there. Luke says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. How does Elizabeth know what the angel told Mary? The God who told the angel what to tell Mary filled Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's speaking became God speaking. 
Let us consider the words God wanted her to prophetically proclaim. Read with me again verses 42 to 45. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Did you notice the repetition? Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed. Clearly, God wants Mary and everyone who would read this story to know that Mary is blessed. And for two main reasons. One, verse 42, Mary is blessed more than other women because of the fruit in her womb, who Elizabeth identifies in verse 43 as my Lord. Notice the capital L in Lord. For those of us who don't know Greek, translators give us a hint that a reference to the divine is happening in the original language. Elizabeth is not just saying Lord in a respectful way about someone who would have some authority in the future. She, through the special revelation of the Holy Spirit, calls the fruit of Mary's womb the title of Israel's one God, my Lord. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Cast the humility, cast the awareness of her unworthiness, cast the recognition of the privilege of being in the presence of her Lord, a presence that makes even unborn babies leap for joy. That's the first reason why Mary's blessed. She gets to be the Messiah's mom. The second reason Elizabeth says Mary's blessed is in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Luke isn't letting this go. He needs Theophilus to know, blessed are the believers. You may have not seen Jesus, but that's not how primarily you meet Jesus. You meet Jesus by receiving him in faith as he's revealed himself in his word. In scene one, Elizabeth prophesies. In scene two, Mary sings. She just experienced the shock of Elizabeth calling her blessed over news no one had told her. Mary, now overflowing with gratefulness, responds with praise that would inspire worship in the church for the next 2,000 years. Read with me Mary's song, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. This is what belief in a holy God sounds like. Mary's soul magnifies and rejoices in God her Savior. In the words of John Piper, Mary does not magnify the Lord like you use a magnifying glass, making something small seem larger. She magnifies the Lord like you use a telescope, making something absolutely massive look as grand as it really is. And Mary displays God's grandness in this moment because, see verse 48, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Do you notice the similarity of these two women? Elizabeth cries, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary calls herself a servant with a humble estate. Humility is an ingredient of faith in God. Because faith says, I can't, but God can. Zechariah said, we're too old to have a baby. Mary said, God's too mighty for me not to have a baby. She was so confident that God's plan would not only be fulfilled, but change the world, that she made quite the bold prediction in verse 48. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Man, it must feel good to be Mary. So blessed. So much more than we could ever be. Is that what Luke intends to accomplish with this story? To make our souls magnify Mary and our spirits rejoice in her as a saint worthy to receive our prayer? Luke makes sure Theophilus does not come to that conclusion. He includes chapter 11 of his gospel, in chapter 11 of his gospel, a story about Jesus speaking to a crowd. And a woman raises her voice and says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Here's Jesus' chance to affirm Mary's unique blessedness. But Jesus does not say, Amen, that's my mom. No, Jesus replies to her, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Mary was blessed to mother Jesus, but Jesus himself makes clear that she was even more blessed to believe Jesus. Blessed are the believers, for God has done great things for all of them. Our souls magnify the Lord, and our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servants and joined us in it. The eternal Son of God, who made the trees, 
became flesh so he could be nailed to one. For behold, from now on, all generations of people and all legions of angels and all persons of the Trinity will call us blessed. For he who is mighty has died that we might live. And he lives because he rose and because he reigns He sent the same Holy Spirit who filled Elizabeth to give us new hearts to believe in him and to by faith unite us to him. We, blessed believers, are now closer to Jesus than Mary was when he rested in her womb because he's made us members of his body of which he is the head and he's promised to stay with us until he comes back for us or takes us to be with him and enjoy him forever. Blessed are the believers, for God has done great things for them. And holy, holy, holy is his name. Mary's song becomes our song when we believe who Mary's believed. And she has only just begun to magnify her Lord. Her song can be broken up into the stanza we just read, Mary magnifying God for his dealings with her, and the remainder of the song, Mary magnifying God for his dealings with humanity. Read again with me verses 50 to 53. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And with that, Luke completely dismantles any definition of blessedness for Theophilus that might require riches, and power. How might Theophilus have felt reading the rich he has sent away empty? Did that line make any of us nervous? We're certainly not the most impoverished congregation in the city, let alone the world. Comparing our resources with the global church puts most of our members into the rich category. So how do we make sense of this saying, the rich he has sent away empty? The key phrase in interpreting this passage is in verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him. This first verse in the standa clarifies the mighty who God brings down and the rich he sends away the proud ones who do not fear him, which is tragically a large percentage of them. Now you may ask, why should anyone fear a loving God? But when you understand God's holiness and might, you fear him. If you have received his love, you need not be afraid of or flee from him, but to fear him in humility. The prophet Isaiah says, God has measured the waters 
in the palm of his hand. The next time you see Lake Michigan, consider how small and powerless you are. As you gaze upon a body of water you can't see to the end of, let alone measure with your hands. And then consider that Lake Michigan isn't even 0.1% of the water on the earth. And then consider that God doesn't even have hands because he's spirit, and Isaiah is just using a picture to help finite human beings feel how big and mighty and infinite, all-powerful God is. Is it any wonder why we're encouraged to fear this loving God? The danger of the soul, to the soul of someone who possess riches and power and reason to be proud is all of the motivation to not fear God. Money and authority should be received as gifts from a merciful heavenly father who would be just to judge you as condemned for your sin and yet he lovingly lavishes you with kindness meant to lead you to repentance in the, until the day when the fruit of Mary's womb will judge the living and the dead. Riches and power should prompt a spirit of gratefulness and a desire to invest those resources for God's glory because they're his money and authority. It's okay to call all gifts from God blessings, from presents to good jobs. However, are we really blessed by receiving them if they don't cause our souls to magnify God? Riches and power become curses if received wrongly. Theophilus probably didn't get any less nervous when he reached Luke chapter 6. And Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Luke's warning to the rich reaches a climax in chapter 18, when Jesus asks the rich young ruler to sell all he has and give his money to the poor but he walks away sad. Jesus then delivers the most blunt warning to the rich in all of scripture, saying how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Jesus then offers the greatest hope for the rich in all of Scripture. Sounding like the angel assuring Mary of his birth 30-some years ago. What is impossible with man, Jesus says, is possible with God. God is the only hope for the rich not to be sent away empty. Because God is the only hope for all people. Mary's emphasis on the humbling of the proud and exalting of the humble is because society runs the opposite way. But the arrival of the Messiah brings a great reversal where the powerful and rich who do not fear God will be scattered. And Mary says that we can be sure of everything in her song because she's simply celebrating promises God himself 
has spoken in his word. Read with me the last stanza, verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Interestingly, in these last two stanzas, Mary celebrates future deliverance of the Messiah in past tense language. Because what God says he will do is as certain to be accomplished as what he's already done. The biggest difference between the blessedness Mary sings about and the blessedness society sings about is whether or not we can see the blessing. We see riches and think blessing. We do not see humble estate and think blessing because the blessings God has granted to those in Christ are invisible right now. We are a people of faith, not sight. Much of what Mary sang about she did not see fulfilled in her lifetime. Things like, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Jews were still oppressed under Rome when she died. And yet, she still passed on to Luke the story we read today. That's almost certainly how it made it into his gospel as he traveled with the apostle Paul, meeting other members of the early church. Mary would have been near the top of his interview list if he's writing an orderly account of Jesus' life. So, she's retelling the story to Luke. If her confidence had wavered in the Messiah's rescue mission, as Nero kills off Christians, she could have revised her song a tad to make it sound a little more believable. But she did not. She remained confident that God would again show strength with his arm, and scatter the proud, no matter how satisfied they look today. Because after all, much of her song is just partial quotations of Old Testament scripture that flowed out of a heart that had meditated on the word of God day and night. So no matter who around her got beheaded, God's word was God's word, and she had no reason to water down her worship. She had never stopped believing. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. We, like Mary, have not experienced the complete fulfillment of her song. The proud are still boasting. The mighty are still oppressing. The rich are still relaxing. But this Advent, we wait patiently. Because when Christ returns, not as a baby, but as a judge, his mercy will be for those who fear him, and he will fill those who hunger for him with good things. Do you hunger today? Are you in Christ today? If not, believe in him for the sake of your soul. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is effective to save all who come to him. No matter how proud or humble, 
No matter how rich or poor, Christ offers you the blessedness of knowing Christ today. Would you not like to know Mary's God? A God who looks upon the lowly, who wields his matchless might to bless the wombs of women and make babies leap for joy. A God who came to us to suffer, that we might be with him forever. A God who changes hearts to treasure him. How much faith do you have that certain things are certain in life? Are there events that you're absolutely confident in, like the sun rising tomorrow? Mary would want you to know the fulfillment of God's promises to bless believers are more certain than anything in your life. To the believer, glory is more sure than your next breath. To the believer, more sure than even this sermon finishing is you appearing before the judgment seat of God on bended knee and being declared righteous because you are in Christ. To the believer, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord is infinitely more sure than you making it home today. Infinitely more sure than you eating lunch this afternoon is Christ transforming your lowly body to be like his glorious body. Infinitely more sure than you waking up tomorrow is you joining a heavenly host crying out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To the believer, experiencing a joy in Jesus that's greater than you can possibly imagine is infinitely more certain than the sunrise tomorrow. Who are the most blessed people in the world. You are if you are in Christ. God the Father has given everything he has to you. He gave you his only beloved son to pay for the sin that separated you. He gave you his Holy Spirit to make you into a home for the Father and Son to dwell. What more could he give to you Given all he's done for us, what should our waiting sound like this Advent, saints? In the words of my wife, the world responds to blessing with boasting. Mary responds to blessing with worship. We wait worshiping. May our souls magnify the Lord even now. Magnify him for the blessings we cannot see because soon and very soon we will. And in that day, no one will take our joy from us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all the blessings that flow from you. Not because we've deserved a single one of them, we, we could have been justly dead in our sin long ago. 
but by grace you've made us alive in Christ. And may those who are not alive in Christ this morning, may you give them eyes to see all the great things you offer them in your son Jesus. Help all of us increasingly see Jesus as our treasure. In Jesus' name, amen.